Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. I'm glad that you are here with us today. I love reading the Lord's Prayer corporately together. I love the fact that there are people all over the world reading that this morning in multiple languages. And there's just something about the unity that we get to feel when we know we are in agreement with so many as we look at that. Hey, I'm really excited this weekend to preach for two reasons. One, uh, I get to preach on a difficult passage, but I'm excited about it, and I'm, I just feel like the Lord has given me some things with that. And two, I got new sneakers, and I'm really excited to wear them and get to bounce around in them. And one thing that you need to know about me is I have a problem, and I have a lot of sneakers. I, I believe out here on the West Coast, we call them tennis shoes. I'm still trying to make that transition. Not quite there yet. But anyway... Uh, are they getting, you're getting these on live stream, right? So friends on live stream, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Anyway, on Friday night, uh, I went out shopping with Jess and it's my son's 16th birthday today. Happy birthday, Rowan, wherever you are. And anyway, I was like, I, I want to get him a pair of sneakers. He's size 12. He's a big dude, bigger than me. And uh, so we walk into the, to the store and the lady's like, hey, we just brought out all these, these, these shoes, Adidas ones, and we're like putting them half price, but they're all size 11s. What size are you? I was like, I'm, I'm size 11. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so um, I walked out with shoes, two pairs, uh, one for, no, two for me, zero for my son. <laughs> And that's how that one played out. And uh, so anyway, I have, I have a lot of shoes. Steve wore a pair of my shoes a couple weeks ago. That was weird. I don't know why. He, and he chose that pair. But, uh, but yeah, I would never wear that pair on stage, but he chose to go for it. And so, Steve, if you're watching, hey, way to go for it. Um, but I am. I'm really excited about this series we're in. I'm excited about the message that I believe the Lord has for us today. And we're in this series, Kingdom Come. I mean, that's why we're reading the Lord's Prayer. May his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It is happening, friends. It's happening in Salem. It's happening around the world. His kingdom is advancing in the here and now, and we celebrate that. In our first week in this series, we define the kingdom of God as the society in which God's will is done. It's his rule, his reign in our midst. We looked at Isaiah, and we saw these different characteristics of what happens when the kingdom of God is advancing, what it should look like, the things that we should be seeing. And then we began kind of these three weeks in a row where we're talking about allegiance, integration, and mission. In that first week, Steve talked to us about allegiance. Allegiance is saying that I put my full trust, everything, my full Jesus, you have it all. There is no other name. There is nothing that's coming against that. It's all there for you, right? Like shoe-wise, I have Nikes, I have Adidas, I have New Balances. I have no allegiance to a singular brand. I just like shoes, right? Jesus is saying, that's not how this works. Creator God is king, and he's saying, there will be no competition, It is me and me alone. And Steve took us through and he said, there are some things that are out there that are trying to usurp his position in our life. And he talked us through consumerism and individualism and nationalism. And he said, be aware of these things. Then we we move on from allegiance to integration. And integration is just how we are integrating the words of God, who he is, into our inner life. 
And we talked through, through that. How are the words of scripture becoming real? How are we putting them into practice, especially in our inner life? What's happening below the surface? And we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and how we can make that part of our life. How do we reflect who God is to others? That's part of the integration. It's the devotion. It's the stirring, the enthusiasm that comes from allegiance. And it's this part that I think is really important for us not to miss, this integration piece. You see, the parable Steve preached on last week and the parable we're going to look at today have this common thread. Jesus doesn't want action for action's sake. He's not looking for simply good deeds and rituals. He wants our hearts. He wants our transformed and filled hearts, and he wants our service to flow from there, not out of obligation, but out of compassion. And so that's where we're heading today. And and I feel this is a really important sermon for us because I have traveled and I have visited numerous churches throughout our country. And oftentimes I can walk into a church and tell you right away if they understand this integration piece. And so many churches don't. So many churches are full of people trying to do good, but they're tired. They're falling into traps of legalism. And they're missing something that's going on right here. Friends, we don't want to fall into those traps. I love walking around Salem, and I'll meet people, and somehow, you know, it starts coming up. Oh, do you go to church? I do. I go to church. I go to Sam Alliance Church, and I'm actually a pastor there. And, and oh, that's the do-good church. Man, I love it when they say we're the do-good church. And yet, we are so much more than that. We are a church that is on mission And there is a difference, and we're going to see that today. We aren't simply a social gospel-only church. We are a church with the whole life-transforming gospel. You better believe there are social aspects within that, but it's so much more. We are a church that preaches the gospel both in demonstration and in declaration, in show and in tell. And we are guided towards our vision to see Salem become a city at peace with God through our mission. Today we're talking about mission, and I think it's important that we take a look at our mission statement as a church, because this is what we are agreeing with. We exist to exalt Jesus Christ, become his fully devoted followers, and share his grace and truth with all people. This has pre-existed my time here, but I am so excited that I get to lead a group of people that declare this is our mission. This is how we bring peace to our city. And here's why. Because it fits perfectly with this concept of AIM, allegiance, integration, mission. It fits perfectly with this this formula that I, this, this framework that I've been talking about a lot over the past few months, behold, believe, behave. You see, the allegiance, the beholding who God is, that's we exist to exalt Jesus Christ. The integration, the belief, it's the belief that what he said is truth in our lives, in all of us, and it's us becoming his devoted followers. And out of those two things, out of that, it leads us into our mission, our behaviors, sharing his grace and truth with all people. Friends, it's allegiance, integration, mission, and it's in that order. It's behold, Believe, behave, and it's in that order, and it's when we mess up that order that we get in trouble. And our passage today in Matthew 25 affirms this. You can turn there if you want, Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, but while you do, let me set this up a little bit. This is an intense passage, warning, 
Fowler laid out this sermon series before he left, and of course, he would leave me nothing less than Matthew 25 to preach on in my first week as acting lead. It's important that we understand the context of what Jesus is speaking to. You see, he's speaking to a group in the temple. He's speaking to the righteous. And the righteous gather, and they do an incredible job of following the rituals, of of doing what is right. And they gather and worship consistently. And yet, they're missing something. And this is what Jesus is coming at. You can throw this piece of art. This helps you understand of what's happening outside of the temple where the righteous are gathered. You see, the least of these, the poor, the sick, the downtrodden, this is where they often gather. And Jesus is coming at the righteous, the Pharisees who are in the temple and saying, why are you neglecting them? You're missing it. You're missing it. And it's in this context that he gives this message. A second thing that's important to understand before we dive into this is this is the passage of the sheep and the goats. The passage that oftentimes churches try to skip over, but we're going after today. And you need to understand that in today's vernacular, goat has changed, right? Goat, for many people, is not an animal. It simply means greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. That's right. Right? It's not Rodgers. That was clear last night, friends, 49ers fans out there, right? It's the greatest of all time. But here's the deal. In the passage we're looking at today, we're not talking about Brady. We're not talking about Jordan. We're not talking about the greatest of all time. We're talking about actual animals, sheep and goats. And here's the thing. I really like goats. I think goats are pretty cool. I have friends that have a goat. And goats are great. But in this passage, they're viewed negatively. We want to be sheep. We want to be sheep. So now that that's cleared up, let's go ahead. We'll read this. Matthew 25, verses 31 down to the end. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation Of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones into the internal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty 
or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus doesn't mince words here. To the original audience, he captures their attention. He captures our attention in this. Jesus is saying that a sign of one who will spend eternity in his presence is one who, with compassion and justice and peace, goes to those in need, especially the least of these. And so here we have a call to action. But even more so, we have a reminder that it's actually the motivation that leads us to the action that impresses Jesus, that Jesus is interested in. You see, it's our underlying motive that gets the attention of the king. It's our underlying motive that gets the attention of the king. And that's what I want to talk about today, because I believe that is a big part of what this passage is telling us. You see, action not based in compassion doesn't impress him. Demonstration not based in devotion doesn't impress Jesus. In fact, it's one of the major underlying motives that separates the sheep from the goats. We see some separating factors here. And church, this is why it's so tough. You see, the goats, the ones that the king sends away, you could describe them as achievers, overachievers, tryhards who are overly concerned about how they appear. Some of you may be familiar with the Enneagram, this personality inventory type thing. And and I love the way they describe threes. Threes are called achievers. Threes are defined by their desire to be significant and distinguish themselves through their achievements. To many, they appear confident and ambitious and goal-oriented, but they can be unsure of their innate self-worth and look for validation through their accomplishments. Threes are typically very image-focused. Threes are trying to earn the respect of those around them. Some of you are squirming even as I read this because it describes a bit of who you are. In fact, our nation, if you had to classify them as one of these Enneagram categories, would probably be classified as threes, the achievers. And here's the deal. I'm squirming even as I speak it. Because for me, I'm a three off the charts. My struggle is being wrongly motivated for the sake of appearance and to get credit for things. It's a a constant journey. It's something that I became aware of years ago that I continue to lay at the feet of Jesus. When I ask Spirit to come as convictor, often he says, look at this. Look what motivated you there. And therefore, this passage comes at me hard. I I knew I had a problem years ago. I was running a lot, and I, I took a look at my times. And I realized, oh my goodness, I run faster on busy streets. I actually run faster when there's just a remote chance that someone I know might see me. That's messed up. That's really weird. I only run on back streets now. 
but an example of how sometimes our misplaced motivations affect us. In church, when it, when it creeps into our faith, we need to be aware. One of my favorite commentators says this about the passage. He says, the proofs of conversion are not the great things at all. They are the little things, as most people think of them. Sharing food with a brother who is hungry, giving water to a sister who is thirsty, welcoming a stranger, offering clothes to one who needs clothing, caring for the sick, or visiting a person who is in prison. It is also because these are the little things that the unrighteous did not do them. They may have done them if someone important, such as Jesus, had been there. And I would add to that that they probably wouldn't have done them without clear motives, even if there was someone important there. Because the problem is in this trap, you're always wondering if someone is watching. You're always wondering how it might benefit you or make you appear. The goats were overachievers. And they couldn't control that. The goats were also religiously pious. They were the ones that were pointing out what others were doing wrong, the evil action that the depraved over there were carrying out. In some circles, this is called the religious spirit or it's legalism, where behavior becomes a thing that is so important that we neglect the beholding and the believing. But here's the thing that we can't miss in this passage. What leads to not being recognized by the king? Notice it's not evil behavior, but rather a failure to do good. A failure to take action with proper motivation. Don't miss that. The goats, the ones separated out that Jesus doesn't recognize, that are sent away by the king, are also the lovers of the reassuring list. They love their lists. And look, lists aren't a bad thing. Ask Candela to see his shopping list app. It's pretty unbelievable. He never misses a thing. I've got lists all over my phone. I love lists. I love the feeling of checking something off and the feeling of accomplishment when I do. But when that creeps into our faith, we have a problem. When our value comes from that, me again, we fall from a relationship with Jesus to wanting that assurance that we're doing it well and we're in. And we start checking the boxes. And that's a problem. Living in the Middle East, this was the deal. A country that is 98% Muslim, Islam is all about this. It's all about the list checking, completing the five pillars of the faith, making sure you get to Mecca on the Hajj, making sure that you're fasting and praying consistently during Ramadan. But the thing is, church, the Pharisees that Jesus was confronting, they were just like that. Both of those are pictures of behavior modification at its finest. And Jesus sees that behavior modification and says, away with them. It's important that we get it. It's important that we see the need. So similar to what Steve shared last week, it's the underlying motive that gets the attention of the king. And the remedy of this is a deeply formed life. A deeply formed life is what leads to mission spurred by compassion, spurred by our allegiance and our integration of the king. And so how do we get there? How do we get the attention of the king? How do we become more like sheep than like the goats that we see in this story? A couple of things that I see in the text and looking at the context. One, 
The sheep have cultivated hearts that are absent-mindedly missional. The sheep have cultivated hearts that are absent-mindedly missional. It's simply become second nature to them, like riding a bike, operating it without even really consciously thinking. There's someone on staff that I'll sometimes go for walks with around the neighborhood, and that person often picks up trash when they see it. And I love that. I love that they pick up that trash. But, but, but there was this time where I wondered, I'm, I wonder if they do that if I'm not walking with them. Me even saying that shows you a little bit of my like, issues, right? <laughs> there was one day that I was in the prayer room on the fourth floor at the Broadway building, and it looks out, and I saw this person walking alone. Guess what they did? They picked up trash. There was no one in the vicinity. I love that. In church, that's what we're called to do. It, it needs to be absent-mindedly. We're not doing it because of what we can get out of it. We're just doing it because it becomes second nature. It's like that with mission. You do the little things, as the passage say, and you don't even realize that you're doing them. When did, you see, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? The righteous didn't even recognize what they were accomplishing for the kingdom. Being absent-mindedly missional comes from that intentional being in the presence of the king, being familiar with his words, with his teaching, with the Sermon on the Mount. When we begin to do this, we begin to see the world as he sees it. We recognize who he is and what he cares about. When we do that, we begin to be transformed into him, and we see the world as he does. Here's the thing, though. For many of us, including myself, this doesn't always come naturally. It's interesting, when the preaching team gets together to exegete a passage and begin to prepare a sermon to share with you, so often, the way we're looking at it is, how do we help our incredibly intelligent, biblically-based congregation understand stuff in their head, move it from their heart, and be able to move it to their hands? How do we move it from the head to actual action, to hands. And here's the thing. As I was praying about this message today, this is, church, we do mission. We do lots of mission around here. We do it really well. Our hands are active. And I believe that for some of us in this room, we actually have to go backwards. We need to move it from our hands to our heart to our head. We need to remember why it is that we serve there, why it is that we give to that organization, why it is And I believe for many of us, as we do that, it's going to click and something's going to change in us because when we do that, it is beautiful. When it starts deep in us through that devotion, we get to just be who we are and it brings us joy and it doesn't feel burdensome and we're operating from a place of fullness, overflowing to others rather than giving what the little we have that we need to be sustained to others out of obligation. We also get the attention of the king by laying our checklist Christianity at the feet of Jesus. We lay that checklist Christianity at the feet of Jesus. Truth is, it's scary. We can act rightly with the wrong motive. I do it all the time. But here's the thing. God still redeems that for his kingdom, and he still comes after our heart and our motivation. But that checklist Christianity is because we're falling into a theology of works. And understand that in this passage today, that is not what Jesus is promoting. That's not what he is saying. There is no false sense of certainty where I stand. When we think that we can earn our salvation, we have an issue. And may I remind you that we believe here at Sam Alliance Church what it says in Romans 1. 
Galatians 2, Ephesians 2, that salvation is by faith, not by works. Sure, there are proofs that we get it, evidence of true faith as we see here, but that's evidence of a changed heart. So be careful not to misinterpret what Jesus is saying here. Also, some read this passage and they fall into a category of condemnation. They read it and they say, oh my goodness, am I a goat? Am I, not, am I doing enough? And some of you read that and you started to think, oh gosh, oh, I got to start volunteering at UGM. I need to start doing, I need to... Uh, Can I just tell you, if you had that reaction to this first, can I just share with you some words of a former lead pastor? Jesus loves you, and he also likes you. And he's not looking to add to your list. He's not trying to guilt you into action. He's not trying to frighten you into service. He simply wants your heart. He wants your heart. And so if you've fallen into some ruts of checklist Christianity, can you throw away your list and ask Jesus, what is it that you're inspiring me to? And here's one of the ways that you can get there. I've compiled the list of a bunch of ministries around Sam Alliance, and I need you to choose two. I'm just totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. I hope you get that, right? right? But do you see how easy it is to fall into that? Even for us leaders, how, how difficult it is to help people get that motivation and make sure we're never guilting people into service, including ourselves. But here's one of the keys to that. And can I encourage you? Can I encourage us? May we ask God to reveal his heart for the least of these to us. You see, that's where it starts. I was talking with one of our international workers in Kosovo earlier this week, and it was just amazing to talk to this person. I I get with them every two or three weeks. God's revealing his heart for the people of his city. And to help him realize that that's what God was doing and how that changes everything and how his lists and expectations of what he should be doing are falling away because God's revealing his heart. And there's just this burden that's falling on him and he's going to be awesome. Because the kingdom of God is at hand when God begins to show us his face in those that we see to stir within us a compassion and inspiration to lend a hand and care for the least. When we do this, it's powerful. We move from doing it because we ought to do it to doing it because we know this is what we're called to do. My personal calling story has a bit of this. I'll never forget, I I flew to Egypt, and I was just there for like three days to see Jess, who was studying abroad there while our senior year of college. And, And I flew in, we went to see the pyramids, and we're driving back from the pyramids, and we're stuck in traffic. We're in this really old cab. And on the right, there's this guy on a donkey, and he's got this cart behind him, a very impoverished man. And I look, and I see his face. We, we lock eyes, and something happened to me. I actually, like, it, it emotionally moved me. And, and, and I saw the face of Christ in that man. And something stirred that said, I, I want to be back here working with the poor someday. And then on the left side, I look, and there's this brand new, brand new, really expensive Mercedes with these four young Arab guys in it. And they were playing Backstreet Boys. I can't make this up. <laughs> and I just chuckled at that. And then I saw the guy in the passenger seat, and we locked eyes. And something stirred in me. And I saw the face of Christ in him. And I said, I need to be back here working with the wealthy also. And it was a confirmation to my calling. And I began to weep in the back of that car, as awkward as it was, 
stuck in traffic in Cairo with Jess, and I told her, we will be back here someday. Because God had shown me his heart for these people. And I think of one of our elders, Amit, who was a professor outside of Chicago at a university, and he was invited to teach a, a college class in a prison not far from their campus. And he went and he did it, and he saw the face of Christ and the incarcerated, and he would never be the same. And so a few years later, when an opportunity opened to, to launch Paid in Full, a similar ministry here in the state of Oregon, with a partnership of Corbin University, he knew he couldn't say no. He had seen the face of Christ in the incarcerated. Friends, those stories are larger examples, but it's often the little moments when we see a person and something in us stirs. I hear the stories from my students at, all, at RTI all the time. Sometimes they don't even realize the compassion that is brewing in them when they tell about that coworker, when they tell about that student at the school that they teach at, when they tell about the transient man that they pass and they're beginning to see every day and start to have conversations with. They are seeing the face of God in these people, and it is changing them. It is calling something out of them. When we see Christ in others' faces, the kingdom of God is at hand. Sometimes he just calls us and he shows us, and sometimes we get to ask him to show us. Can I just tell you today, I'm asking you to consider asking the Lord to reveal his heart for those around you, for the least of those in our city. But before you do that. Before you take that step, can I also give you a little disclaimer, a little warning, because understand, if you make that ask, that revelation, Father God will likely reveal his heart for the least of these in your areas of influence. And when he does, that's going to do something. It's going to cost you. It's going to call you out of your comfort. You see, oftentimes he calls us by giving us his view of those people, but that calling that motivation grows, and it often grows because he calls us to proximity, closeness, and exposure to the least of these. Let me repeat that. Because compassion comes from the Father's heart, but then it grows with proximity, closeness, and exposure to the least of these. So friends, be warned and be released. Church, may we cultivate hearts that are absent-mindedly missional, May we courageously throw our assurance, our checklist Christianity at the feet of Jesus. And may we have the boldness to ask Father God to reveal to us his heart for the least of these. Let's pray. Jesus, we declare that your kingdom is at hand. You inaugurated it with your death and resurrection. And so we thank you, Spirit, for the power that you give us to make things right in the here and now, on earth as it is in heaven. But Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to check to make sure our motivation is in the right spot? Would you forgive us for the times where we get off a little and we're doing it because of the way it makes us feel or how it appears to others? Would you keep us on mission? Would you show us your heart for the least of these? When we get off track and we begin to do our list that bring us that confidence and that assurance, would you rip those up and get rid of them? Would you make this second nature in our lives? You're at work. We're just trying to hang on for the ride. 
We thank you that the kingdom of God is at hand and that peace is coming to our city. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.